Our scripture for this sermon comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So through this season of Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Give Up Something Bad for Lent. Through these 40 days, Christians around the world typically fast from something. Sorry, my my binder was slipping. I'll start over in a second. (laughs) It's too slippery. Thanks. Throughout Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Give Up Something Bad for Lent. Through these 40 days, Christians around the world typically fast from something. We might fast from something superficial like sugar or social media, something that might be a sacrifice for the time being, but it's also typically something we go back to after Easter. What if we fasted from things we truly need to root out of our lives, not just for now, but for good? In the book of the prophet Isaiah, the fast that God wants from God's people involves saving other people from oppression and satisfying their needs. In those days, Israel delighted in ritual, but that did not make it righteous. So it's important in this season of Lent and all the time that we're mindful of the bad things we can give up. Today, we give up self-sufficiency. Back in high school, every Friday and Saturday night, Will's mother bid him farewell at the door with these mighty words, don't forget who you are. You know what she meant. She didn't mean that Will was in danger of forgetting his name or his home address. She meant that alone on a date, in the midst of some party, or surrounded by strangers, he might lose sight of the values with which he had been raised. He might answer to some alien name or engage in some unaccustomed behavior. Don't forget who you are, was her maternal benediction as Will left home. But who am I, you might ask. The modern world tells us You are the self-centered, autonomous, self-made being. Nobody will look out for you but you. You are the most important project in your life. So nurture, care for, and love your adorable me. There are no values save the ones you create. No meaning except for the meaning you choose. Look out for number one. Satisfy, soothe. Make happy, thrill, care for your lonely little me. 
Now, I am all for self-love and self-care. I think it's important to nurture the relationship we have with ourselves. But the story of God tells us that we are not all on our own. We can't do life without other people, and we can't do it without God. The devil's first temptation for Jesus in the wilderness was self-sufficiency. You might hear that same temptation still today, just in different words. He told Jesus, turn these stones to bread. But he was also saying, rely on yourself. You don't need anyone else. Don't ask for help. Asking for help is weakness. Even needing help is weakness. But these lies take us further from God and further from one another. Giving in to the illusion that we can do it all, that we don't need help, or that asking for help is weakness only drives us to isolation. Now, Jesus knew he had the power of being fully God as well as fully human. It was possible for him to be self-sufficient, to turn those stones to bread. But it was better for him to continue to trust and depend on the Father. Before the curse of sin and death deceived us, we knew our dependence on God too. Kate Bowler describes it this way. With a divine mud pie, God shapes and molds us into God's likeness. Skin stretches around bones and they crackle into place. Veins and arteries and nerves create complicated, invisible roads just below the skin's surface. God breathes oxygen into lungs in an instance of divine CPR. Dependence on God should not be something we reserve as, as a last resort or when we've run out of ideas of way to do it all on our own. Dependence on God is how we were made to be. James Howell wrote, you might hear someone say that God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God, not because God is small-minded and petty, but because God's love for us is so immense that God cannot stand idly by while we squander ourselves on what is a mere idol, on what will only chew away at whatever is good in the soul and leave us a superficial people with pointless lives. Trying to live without God chews away at your soul. God is jealous in that God wants nothing more than for us to give up trying to depend only on ourselves. Some of us may be struggling right now, worried about the future, stressed over finances or war or relationship difficulties. Life will always have those types of challenges. But we can live out our lives recognizing there is a God we can lean on. Health issues and war and natural disasters all remind us we are not self-sufficient. No matter how much we like to be, no matter how much we might like to be or try to be. Thank God we have God to rely on. It's tempting to stress and worry, to try to juggle or spin the plates, doing it all on your own. 
But scripture says you can rest in God's arms, knowing that when you pray, God hears you. God is mindful of you. God is your fortress and strong tower. The Lord is your light and your salvation, so you have nothing to fear. Whatever we go through in this life, God is with us. To say that God is our refuge and our fortress and a light doesn't mean that we won't be touched by the challenges of life. It's to say that we have access to a power that can strengthen us against the hopelessness and pain that come from a broken world. Giving up self-sufficiency means that we must rely not only on God, but also on each other. Jesus commands us to carry one another's burdens. And if you're someone who tries to be self-sufficient, his command for you might also to be, allow others to carry your burdens. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Two are better than one. We are better together. We are not islands, but reliant on one another to remake us, to pull us toward God, to be a soft place to land. As Christians, we believe we are part of the larger body of Christ, through which God unleashes the kingdom. One summer, a boy returned home from his first year at college. He appeared at his pastor's office to tell the pastor they would not be seeing him at church while he was home over the summer. When the pastor asked why, he told them, well, you see, I've been doing a lot of thinking about religion while I was at college. I've come to the conclusion that there's not much to this religion thing. I've learned I can, I don't need to get, I have found out that I don't need the church to get by. And the pastor found all that very interesting. The boy asked, aren't you worried? I thought you would go through the roof when I told you. Now, this pastor had known the boy for about five years. He had baptized him a couple of years before on a profession of faith, had watched him grow up through high school. The boy came from a difficult family situation. The church was interested in the boy and had a hand in making it possible for him to go to college. His pastor says, no, I'm, I'm interested, but I'm not overly concerned. I'll be watching to see if you can pull it off. What do you mean, pull it off? The boy asks him. I'm 19. I can decide to do anything I want to do, can't I? His pastor told him, when I was 19, I thought I was on my own too. I'm saying I'm not so sure you'll be able to get away with this. The young man is just increasingly confused. I don't understand, he tells his pastor. Why not? Well, for one thing, you're baptized. There are people here who care about you. They made promises to God when you were baptized. You try not showing up around here this summer, and they'll be nosing around, asking what you're doing with your life, how your grades were last semester. Then there's also God. No telling what God might try with you. From what I've seen of God, once he's claimed you, you don't get off the hook so easily. God is relentless in claiming what is his. And at baptism, God said you belong to him. The congregation wasn't going to let the boy go that easy. Nor does God let any of us go easily. 
It's possible in the midst of this life to forget who you are and whose you are. So the church is here to remind you, to remind each other that we have been bought with a price, that someone greater than us has named us and claimed us and seeks us and loves us with only one good reason in mind, so that God might love us for all eternity. Increasing numbers of people feel like they can be Christian without bothering the church. But how lonely. Faith is something we do together, something that presses us up against people with whom we normally might have no contact at all. I am saved to be saved with you, us together. We desperately need to connect with others at a deep faith level. As Stanley Hauerwas said, God has and will continue to give us company so that we will know how to rightly worship, to make our faithful living possible through that skill called memory. We need each other. We help one another believe when it is hard for us to believe. Where else can you talk about life and death? Where else can you go to be reminded that you are not just a bundle of desires? You're more than a worker for some company's profit margin. You have a spiritual side. Where else will you hear any word challenging our culture of self-sufficiency? Now, just because relying on others is something God wants for us does not mean it's easy. Being in community with people is hard. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's not community until it gets hard. To believe anything else is to love the dream of community more than the Christian community itself. The church in Acts had plenty of struggles. They were still human beings who were living each day one step at a time. They worked hard to love God and others, to confess their sins to each other, to bear one another's burdens, to proclaim God's word to each other, and to spread that good news to new people and places. They did not love the idea of a perfect community more than they loved one another. They knew community is conflict, Community is differences that come from diversity. It was hard. It was messy. It was beautiful and difficult and holy all at once. And Jesus knew that being in community would be hard for his church. He experienced those same kinds of difficulties in his own life. Jesus knew what it was like to feel rejected, abandoned, and betrayed. Jesus showed us exactly what he thought of exclusion and rejection, right? Jesus loved those the world devalued and demeaned. The poor and the sick and foreigners, women, those deemed unclean and the imprisoned. Jesus flipped who's in and who's out upside down. He radically broke every social and religious barrier, shattering them for all time. His touch brought healing and restoration and hope to people who felt like they didn't belong. Jesus tells us we all belong, and he calls us his own. He knew what it was like to be locked out, and so he made space for others to sit with him. He practiced radical belonging and hospitality and moved heaven and earth to be where we are. 
if you feel like you are alone, like you have no one to talk to or no hand to help you up, know that Jesus understands. Know that Jesus is there for you. Know that that this church, that this part of the body of Christ is there for you as well. Amen? We do not believe alone. We do not go solo, and we, we can't, even if we try. We're saved to be part of a community, part of a family, the body of Christ. The early church we see depicted in Acts grew like wildfire because of how they cared for the sick, provided for the poor, embraced life together as a multi-ethnic community. Those typically seen as outsiders, like slaves, women, children, and the poor, became insiders, welcomed and empowered. Compelled by the gospel of Jesus, they belonged to one another and to God. The early church survived together through those differences, through persecution and disagreements and debate. They stayed faithful to teaching, preaching, daily prayers, and the breaking of bread. They confronted sin. They relied on patience, that fruit of the Spirit that shows a new way of living to neighbor and enemy alike. They had extreme love for each other, And all of these things are byproducts of living out the gospel. Living out not only the Great Commission, but also the Great Commandment. The gospel was preached and the gospel was lived out. The two go hand in hand. The early church, this this gospel that they preached had credibility because of how they lived their lives. The disciples worked together and were in fellowship with one another. They weren't trying to do it all on their own. They practiced what they preached. They were working and learning, growing and serving together. We live in a culture that has tutored us to take charge. If you succeed, you can pat yourself on the back, but if you mess up, it is your fault. Isn't this a lonely, harsh existence? When it's all up to you, when it's all on your shoulders. The story of God tells us it's not all up to you. It's not all about you. There's a power beyond what we can control, beyond what we can imagine. The saving work of God is not limited by or conditioned upon my feeling, my understanding, my action. We are always the recipients and then the responders to God's saving and loving action. So we help one another believe. We help one another grow into our faith. We help one another correct those places where we have misunderstandings of who God is. We help one another believe when it is hard to believe. When we doubt We can lean on another's faith. Because because faith is personal, but that doesn't mean it's private or individualistic. Studying scripture, worshiping, loving God and neighbor, breaking bread, 
All these things we do together, they're meant to be done in community. The more the family of God can be together, the more we stay together. Catherine Doherty asks, what is it that stands between us and God? What stands between us and our siblings? Us and a life of the Spirit? Whatever it is, let us relentlessly tear it out without a moment's hesitation. What stands between you and God? What stands between you and your siblings? What stands between you and a life of the Spirit? Is it self-sufficiency? Is it thinking that you can do it all on your own or that you have to do it all on your own? What can you do to relentlessly tear that out? This life ought to be a glimpse of the eternal life to come. Christians are saved to be part of the church triumphant. You are saved so that you might find your place in the body of Christ. We come together here. We worship. We come to the Lord's table. We raise our voices in song. And we miss the point if we think that is a nice religious activity. When we do these things like gathering at the communion table or the dinner table or singing a hymn, we are getting a vague but tantalizing glimpse into eternal life. Out of our isolation, we're called together to share in the one thing that matters, the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We find our place in Christ's family And we do not come together to sing, to hear the word proclaimed, to receive the grace of God, just to go back home as we normally would. We are energized. We are catapulted out into the world on a mission. And though we are in the season of Lent, the resurrection has happened. Jesus is risen. This is our hope. This is the surprise. So I invite you to believe. Come and be a part of the church. Be a part of those who believe in the resurrection, those who trust not in themselves but in God and in God's great, glorious future surprise. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that we don't do it all on our own. We give you thanks that you are there for us. We give you thanks for this community of faith. May we lay down our self-sufficiency. May we take up dependence on you as we were created for. May we rely on one another. May we be there for those who rely on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.